We welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. I'd like for you to take God's Word this morning and go with me to the book of Malachi. And we began last Sunday looking at Malachi chapter 3. And uh, we'll look again at that portion of text today and then, God willing, next Sunday as well. So I'd like for you to look there with me. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7. I hope that gives you some perspective, especially if you're visiting with us and help you understand where we are and why this emphasis for this time. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. In Malachi, the prophet is dealing with the people concerning uh, their lack of devotion to God. He's speaking to them about the subject of their worship. And we understand that worship, True worship is the right response of man to the revelation of God. As God reveals himself to us, we respond in faith and love and obedience to him. In corporate worship, that's the gathering of the church when we gather to worship the Lord as he has commanded us, we express our worship in different ways. We express it in prayers and in praising, oftentimes in the form of singing, and preaching and teaching of God's Word, our obedience to the preaching and teaching of God's Word, and in giving. Our giving is an expression of our worship. When we receive our tithes and offerings, uh, that is a part of our worship to the Lord. And so we understand there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we handle our money. As has been pointed out recently, Uh, One-sixth of all that the Lord Jesus Christ taught upon during his earthly life and ministry was on this subject of finances and stewardship and how we manage that. So we understand we cannot divorce faith from finances. And God is, is, is preparing to deal with them in their finances. And he's saying to them in verse number seven, you need to return to me. But the people said, wherein shall we return? Then the answer comes in verse number 8. Will a man rob God? What a serious charge. Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? The response of the people is, how have we robbed you? And God answers, in tithes and offerings. Last Sunday, we dealt with the subject of the controversy concerning the matter of tithing. And God had a controversy with his people. They were robbing him of what belonged to him. You see, we learn from the word of God that the tithe is the tenth. It belongs to God. God is not asking us to give what belongs to us to him. God is saying to us, I have entrusted you with what is mine, and you are to bring a tenth of that to me. The Bible tells us in Psalm 24 and verse 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, 
and they that dwell in. It all belongs to God. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, when we tithe, we bring the tenth that belongs to God back to the Lord. And we demonstrate our worship to Him. The children of Israel, the people who had returned from the captivity uh, in, in Babylon, had, had, had come together. They had rebuilt the temple. And by the time we get to Malachi, we're finding that Nehemiah is working for the reconstruction of the walls. But the people have forsaken the Lord. They've returned. They have drifted from him. He is calling them to return. And he tells them in verse 9, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Imagine the shock of that statement. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there, may be, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, and there shall not be room enough to receive it, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all nations shall call you blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. God said, you've wrought me. And because of that, you're paying a cost. But if you'll trust me, if you'll return to me, I will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing. I want to speak to you on this subject this morning, the cost of disobedience concerning the tithe. The cost of of disobedience concerning the tithe. Would you pray with me? Let's ask God to speak to our hearts. Our Father, I pray that you would enable me by your Spirit to communicate faithfully what your Word teaches. And I pray that you would speak to the hearts of your people. Help us to hear your voice. And God, we pray that you will work in our lives, that we will please you in this matter and in all areas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In this second message from this text, we're concentrating on verses 9 and 10, and we're looking at this thought, the cost of disobedience concerning the tithe. I want you to note there are two costs that stand out in these verses. We're going to look at both of them this morning. The first cost is this, the loss of blessing in our house. When we rob God, when we do not honor God with the tithe, the first fruit of all of our increase, it causes a loss of blessing in our hands. The Bible says in verse number 9, Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. I want you to know this nation, he's speaking of the Jewish nation, they're the people of God. They're not under a curse, they're under the blessings of God. And so what we find here is that the people of God have disobeyed God, and as such, because of their disobedience, they have forfeited the blessings. The blessings that they could have enjoyed, the blessings that they had every right to enjoy, they were not enjoying. Instead, the blessing had turned to a curse. In fact, if you read 
uh, the word of God, when the children of Israel gathered before they went into the land of promise, they gathered in what is called the Valley of Decision. And on one mountain range, half of the nation stood. And they rehearsed all of the blessings that God had promised to them. On another range, the other half of the nation stood, and they rehearsed the cursings, the chastening, the judgment that God would bring if they were disobedient to Him. You see, our level of blessing as believers is in proportion to our level of obedience. There is a link then between obedience and blessing. And the Lord Jesus has blessed us as Christians, we who know Him, are now under no condemnation. We're not under the curse of the law or the curse of sin. We've been redeemed from that curse. There is no condemnation upon us. But nevertheless, if we are to live in the fullness of God's blessing, we must learn to be obedient. And our disobedience causes or limits the blessings of God upon our lives. What was happening here in the nation of Israel? Because of their disobedience in this matter, their fruit uh, was not producing. Their crops uh, were not surviving. Insects had, had infested the land and had eaten away the vegetables and, and the fruit. The fruit of the trees were not maturing as they should. And they were not able to enjoy the blessings of the land that God had promised. They were living in a land that was flowing with milk and honey. But that blessing of God was contingent upon the obedience of the people. And what we find is that when we rob God of His tithes and offerings, we're robbing ourselves of the blessings that God has promised to us. We're not just simply robbing God, we're robbing ourselves. The Bible says in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. You see, when we give, God has promised to bless us and to give to us more than what we have given to Him. The question we must ask ourselves this morning is, do we believe God and do we trust His Word? And so there was a loss of blessings in their house. I want you to look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9, and we'll visit uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, also 1 Corinthians uh, this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, this is a, a passage we, we visited last week, and uh, we may come back here another time or two uh, it, before our study on this subject is concluded. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and what we're going to learn about is the blessings that are spiritual blessings. You see, there are spiritual blessings that we lose, and there are also material, temporal blessings that we lose when we do not honor the Lord. Now, I want you to look here in verse number 9. Of course, Paul has been writing concerning uh, the liberality of the Macedonian churches, and he is using that liberality, that, that example, to encourage the Corinthians to give. And in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6, Paul says this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully 
shall reap also bountifully. So there's a principle given for us. When we give uh, uh, sparingly, we reap sparingly. When we give generously, we reap generously. Verse 7, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, not because somebody made him do it. For he, as speaking of the Lord, loveth a cheerful giver. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. See, there's a spiritual blessing that we read it in verse number 8. God gave them abundant grace to give and to do every good work. You know, when you talk about the subject of giving, people tense up a little bit, you know. Oh, oh no. And we have a tendency to hold tight, right? And when we talk about investing in the work of the Lord and giving up a portion of our income or, or giving some uh, from our surplus and our overflow to meet a need, uh, our flesh, if we're not careful, we'll talk ourselves out of it. That's what happens. And so this is not something we, we gladly do necessarily from our fleshly standpoint, but as the Spirit of God works in us, He gives us, He imparts to us grace. Grace to give. That causes us to be cheerful in our giving. Notice again in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God gives us the grace. As we give, God gives us more grace. That ye always having all sufficiency in all things. God is going to meet our every need. He's going to give us the grace we need. And he is going to use us to abound to every good work. You see, when we give, it helps us in our comprehensive, not just in one area of our Christian life, but comprehensively in every area of our Christian life. That's a spiritual blessing. Look in verse number 12. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Here's a second blessing. God met the needs of others through their giving. God met the needs of others through their giving. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, there were needs that people had, and through their giving, they were able to minister to the needs of people. And when we give to the Lord, we are impacting the lives of other people. That's what the church is here to do. Well, we see something else, another spiritual blessing in verses 12 and 13, in the latter half of verse 12, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. Those who benefited from this gift gave Thanks to the Lord. They were thankful that God knew their need and that God touched others to meet their need. In verse 13, and while by the experiment of this ministration, notice this, not only were they thankful, they glorify God for your professed subjection under the gospel of Christ. It brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus when we serve him and when we give. So God was praised and glorified through their giving. God is pleased by our giving. And then we notice in uh, verse 14, And by their prayer for you, which long after you, for the exceeding grace of God in you. Here's what we find. 
those who gave were made recipients of the love and the prayers of those they had helped. When they were helped and they were told that a group of Christians who did not know them had given to help them, they developed an affection for those people that they'd never met or seen. And they prayed for those people. You see, when we pray, we open the windows of heaven. We, 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 we open the, the, the door to the storehouse of God's blessings upon our lives. And what greater thing can we have than the prayers of God's people? I want you to think about this. For years, our church has invested in missionaries taking the message of the gospel around the world. And it is unknown to us the magnitude of the impact of those missionaries the lives that have been saved, the souls that have been saved from sin that we will see in heaven and the people that they in turn have impacted because of the sacrifice and financial giving of God's people. Only heaven will reveal that impact. But that's a blessing. That's a spiritual blessing. And when we don't give, we forfeit that opportunity to be blessed. But not only are there spiritual blessings, but there are temporal and material blessings. Things that we can look at and measure. I want you to go with me into the Old Testament to the book of Haggai. Haggai chapter number 1. And I'll try to give you the setting. The Jews have returned from the captivity and they are seeking to rebuild the temple. And the people are slow to embrace the responsibility. And so God raised up a prophet named Haggai, and Haggai is proclaiming a message that God has for them to stir them to get involved in building the temple of the Lord. In Haggai chapter 1, in verse number 2, the prophet says this, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. So the people weren't ready to build. This is not, not time yet. Verse 3, Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lieth waste? Now that word sealed houses carries this idea that they were living in luxury. And that they were concerned about their own comfort and their own luxury, and not concerned about the house of God and the work of God. And so in verse 5, the prophet invites them with the Lord's leading to consider their ways. Look at verse 5. Now therefore thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Look at what's happening in your life. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled. Ye clothe you, but there's none more. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it in a bag with holes. I mean, it comes in and it goes out just as fast as it comes in. Verse 7, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Again, a second time. Think about what you're doing. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it. And I will be glorified, saith the Lord. Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. 
Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon the men, and upon the cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. God said, you've been disobedient to me, you've not invested in the work, and because of that, you're not enjoying the blessings. You see, they were in financial bondage. And many people today find themselves in financial bondage. Warren Wiersbe said, what we fail to realize is that when we keep the money that rightfully belongs to God for ourselves, it never stays with us. It ends up in the doctor's office or the body shop or the tax collector. He says, if we don't trust God to care for us, whatever we do trust in will prove to be futile. But people who lovingly give tithes and offerings to God find that whatever is left after we give goes much farther and brings much greater blessing. Adrian Rogers preached on this very text and in his message he spoke about the subject of financial bondage and he talked to his congregation about tithing and said that if you will tithe you can be released from financial bondage it doesn't mean you won't have hardships but if you're being disobedient to God in this matter then you can enjoy the blessings of God so he asked a number of questions I want to just give them to you and he titled this, Ways to Recognize if You're in Financial Bondage. So consider these with me this morning. Here are the questions. Are you charging daily expenses? Are you past due on your bills? Do you borrow to pay fixed expenses such as taxes, insurance, or rent? Do you have a high debt-to-income ratio? Are you unaware of how much you owe? Do you receive notices and calls from creditors and collectors seeking past due bills? Are you taking money from your savings to pay current bills? Are you making new loans to pay off old loans? Do you and your spouse argue over finances? Have you been dishonest in your financial or business deals? Do you find it difficult to return God's tithe? He said, as we consider these questions, it will help reveal whether or not we are in a financial bondage. Do you know that you don't have to be struggling, by the way, financially? You can have a lot of money and still be in financial bondage. He asked five more questions for those who have money. He said, are you seeking satisfaction in money and riches? The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 10, he that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver. It doesn't matter how much you have, you're never going to be satisfied. And the more you get, the more you want. Ask Solomon, he'll tell you all about it. He had more than anybody else. Are you seeking satisfaction in money and riches? Number two, are you spending time worrying over wealth and finances? I mean, you may have money, but dude, there's no, there's no enjoyment in it. You're worried about losing it. 
worried about the next deal. Proverbs 15, verse 6, In the house of the righteous is much treasure, but the revenue of the wicked is trouble. You see, there's a contentment that we can learn. We can trust God. We can look to Him. And we can have peace. Here's the third question. Are you becoming a slave to your money? Proverbs 23 and verse 4 says, Labor not to be rich. Don't make that the goal of your life. That's what the world tells us. But the goal of our life should not to be rich. The goal of our life should be to please God. As God blesses us and provides for us, then that gives us opportunities to be a blessing to others. Here's the fourth question. Is gold becoming your God? Do you find that in your pursuit of finances, you're drifting away from God, from service to Him, from devotion to Him, from faithfulness to His house? Has something taken the place of the Lord in your life? And then number five. Remember now, these questions are for those who are not struggling financially. Are you rich toward God? In other words, are you giving richly to him? Proverbs 23 and verse 5, Will thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And so I think those are some really good questions, don't you? To help us realize, are we in a financial bondage? By the way, on Wednesday night, we have discipleship groups, and one of our discipleship groups this year, this this first half of the year and the second half of the year, we're going to offer this same uh, course on financial stewardship. And there are people in our church who have said to me, Pastor, if somebody's struggling and they need some counsel and help, I'll be glad to meet with them and give it to them. And so if you find yourself struggling in that area, because a lot of us haven't been taught how to be good financial stewards. If you find yourself struggling, come to me. Let me know. Let me give you some direction and help you Get with some people, not, not necessarily with me, but with some people here in this church that God is burdened and God is gifted and they can help you and they want to. Now, this, this passage is not saying that everybody who's poor is poor because they've been disobedient to God. But what we might find if we consider our ways is the Haggai, the prophet, challenged us and as Adrian challenged us here in these questions, what we might find is that perhaps some of our financial hardship is due to the fact we have not honored God. You see, when we rob God, we rob ourselves of blessings. So the first cost of disobedience is the lack of blessings, or the loss, rather, of blessings in our house. But then I want you to look in Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 10. Because here we find... Another cost of disobedience. In fact, I think it's the greatest cost. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. You see, when we rob God in the, in the area of our tithes and offerings, then, then there's the loss that we incur concerning the blessings in our house, but more importantly, there is a lack of bread in God's house. In God's house. Now, I want you to go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Would you look there with me? 1 Corinthians chapter 16 
And I'm asking you to turn because I want you to understand this isn't the pastor's word. This is God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse number 1. And Paul is writing. He's closing up this 16th chapter. I just preached a sermon or we just finished a series on 1 Corinthians and we looked at this text. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you, that's the church, when does the church meet? The church meets on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's Day. Let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. There's a connection there with that phrase, lay by in store, to the phrase that God gives in Malachi 3 and verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. And what we find in this passage is that there is a definite predetermined act that takes place on the part of the believer to lay by in store, to prepare to determine what we are going to give. Let every man, as he purposeth in his heart, give unto the Lord. The tithe, the tent, that's the place to start. It belongs to the Lord. And notice what he says. Look at it again. He says, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. That signifies a definite proportion of income. All right? So we're not all asked to give the same amount because we all don't have the ability to give the same amount, but we all do have the ability to give the same proportion. And again, that proportion begins with the tenth, the tithe. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of all thine increase. Every source of my income, I am to honor God with the tenth, the tithe. And when I don't, God says, there's a problem. There's not enough meat in my house. Now, if we study the Old Testament, we find that bread is required to feed the ministers of God's Word. Those who live by the gospel, look with me in 1 Corinthians 9. Turn there with me, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul gives us this principle. You see, the Levites were chosen as the ministers of the things of God. They were ministers of the temple, the tabernacle before that. The priests who were among the Levites offered the sacrifices. The Levites were given no inheritance in the land. They lived off of the tithes and offerings of the people. And so we see here in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 13, Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple? The things that are brought into the temple, those things, they partake of those things. And they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar, even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So bread is required to feed God's ministers. Then we see that bread is required for the sacrifices and worship of the Lord's people. The, the, the services that took place in the, in, the, in the temple and the sacrifices that were made and the teaching and the truth that the, the Levites imparted, the Levites were dispersed among all the inhabitants of, of Israel, and they were there to teach the truth of God's word to them. They were the teachers of the law. You see, 
bread was required for the services and the sacrifices in the worship of the Lord. How do we apply that to us today? Well, we, we've come together this morning, and aren't you glad we've come together into a nice building? A carpeted building. It's a pretty comfortable building. It's not an elaborate building. It doesn't need to be an elaborate building, but it's comfortable and it serves our purposes. We have a nice chair to sit on. We have a sound system. Uh, we have instruments and, and musicians, and, and that costs money, right? These are things that we, we give so that we can enjoy that helps us in our corporate worship. These facilities need to be clean and, and kept up. And we need to have uh, uh, hand towels in the bathrooms and the water needs to work. And all of those things are necessary. The lights have to come on and the parking spaces have to be maintained. And all of that is financed as God's people give. They are bringing bread into the house of the Lord. And others can come in and enjoy partaking of that bread. But the greatest bread that is offered is the bread of life, the feeding of the souls of humanity. This is the work of the church. And this is why we give. We give to feed the flock of God, but we also give to feed the souls of a lost and dying world who are starving and have no true bread. In John chapter 6 and verse 47, the word of God says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Jesus said, The need of this world is that people hear about me and that they believe on me and that they get the forgiveness of their sin and they receive everlasting life. And then he said this in verse 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. They ate physical bread, but they died. You see, we're here to help people with physical bread and give to them physical bread, but if they eat physical bread and never receive the truth of the bread of life, when they die, they're going to die and go to hell for all eternity. So the great need of humanity is not just physical bread. The great need of humanity is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church is here to do that. The pillar and the ground of the truth. We proclaim the name of Jesus. He said in verse 50, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. I want you to know that he loves you. And he died on the cross to make the payment for your sin. And if you will believe on him, you will receive the bread of life that will satisfy the hunger of your soul that will give you life eternal. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh. That body that was broken, which I will give for the life of the world. That means for all of us. And if there's no bread in the house, if there's no gospel message in the house, if there's no preaching and teaching of the word of God in the house, then there are going to be people who are living out here in our society who are dying and starving and on their way to a devil's hell. That's why it's important, friends, that there's bread in God's house. 
That's why it's important that we do our part and that we give. I'm going to close in 2 Corinthians 9. Would you turn there with me? I want you to see this. And I pray that God by His Spirit will open our eyes. Again, in this same context, I read it earlier, but I want you to notice in verse 10, these words of Paul. Now, he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Let's say I go to the seed store and I buy some seed. Or better yet, I'm given seed. And I go out into the field and I sow the seed. That seed will grow and produce bread, food, sustenance. It will also produce other seeds. The seed produces bread and the seed produces seeds. And the bread will be used to minister to the needs of those who need eternal life. And when they partake of that bread, they will receive eternal life. And then more seed will be produced. And then more sowers will gather that seed. Because the next time I come back to the seed store, I'm not coming alone. I got somebody with me. And now instead of sowing in one field, we're sowing in two fields. And as we sow, there's confidence that we can have that more bread is going to result. And with more bread is more life because more people can eat more bread. And more life produces more fruit. And more people go back to the seed store. And then again, they go back into the field. And then they see more bread. And then they see more fruit. And more lives are changed. And more seed is sown. And the cycle continues. You see, when you give to God, it doesn't just stop there. It continues. It goes forward for all eternity. There's no telling the return on the investment if we'll trust God and take him at his word. There is a cost this morning, a great cost of being disobedient to God in the matter of tithes and offerings. It is the loss of blessings in my life, spiritual and temporal, but it's the lack of bread and the effect in eternity and the souls of mankind which can be changed if I'll just simply give. I don't want to rob God of his bread. I want the world to know Jesus. And in our little corner of it, God has raised us up to sow the seed. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you and thank you once again for listening.